we found that most dads go through this and there seems to be this opportunity to either lean in or you fall back. And so when you lean in, you can actually work through that and build what psychologists would call self-efficacy or you know confidence within yourself to be able to navigate challenges. Or you go and do something that makes you feel better about yourself because nobody likes to go from first to fourth. And heaven forbid, if we had a cat, I'd be in fifth. But I, I just, I've just seen too many dads uh, fall back into work, into something else where they feel accomplished, and they miss those opportunities to to be there with their child in those first in that first year. And it's very simple. What you can do in those areas is it is about leaning in and having a few simple things to focus on, a few simple tasks, a few simple jobs, and those give you the, the ability to build that that self efficacy. Welcome to Raising Adults, the groundbreaking parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. We're your co-hosts, Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. We created future-focused parenting to take families from surviving to thriving. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Raising Adults podcast. Thank you so much for being with us again for another episode. Dina, how's life in the closet? You know, I am very cozy here under the stairs. I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Are you getting used to being in there now? Like, I, I actually have am. I have you to are. say I quite like it. I mean, oh. it's, it's a little reminiscent of the laundry room. So I think that's why I like mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm, I'm warm. It's small enclosed space and it's just missing you. But otherwise, oh. otherwise it is a little, it's a little nostalgic for me. So I'm, I'm doing okay under here. Thanks for oh, asking. Good. I'm so glad. That's wonderful. Well, before we introduce our phenomenal guest today, we do just want to remind you, because we mentioned it last week, that we just released our Parenting on the Same Page program, which is something that I'm sure a lot of parents would be excited about right now. How do we make sure we're parenting together in a style of unity, especially in the midst of what has just been chaos for nine months? Um, And so if you're interested in that, do go to futurefocusedparenting.com and click on Digital Resources and you'll be able to find it there. So I'm excited for our guest today because this is an interesting take on not just parenthood, but we've got fatherhood in the mix as well. Um, And the way that this guy comes at it, I think is just so interesting. So I am excited to introduce our guest today. And we found him, I hope, well, Brandon, say hi to everyone for just a second before I formally introduce you. Hi there. Thank you for having (laughs) me today. I'm I'm really excited for this. Me too. Are you okay if I share with everyone how we found each other? Oh, absolutely. I'm an open book. Okay. So my aunt who lives in South Africa has a friend, Evan, who is friends with you, correct? Correct. Correct. And so Evan and my aunt Lana got together and were like, these two need to meet because they do similar work. And so Brandon and I like randomly had a meeting and became best friends forever. And we found out that our birthdays are just, what, two days apart? Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you just turned 40 and I just turned 40. You just turned 40. I did. did How is that for you guys? (laughs) It smells a lot like 39. (laughs) (laughs) My best friend decided she's she's not turning 40 this year. And she decided that she's just going to wait until COVID is over and then she'll turn 40. So this year just doesn't even count. She's 39 again. Ah. So I kind of like that. 
I kind of wish I had a leap year birthday at this point because it would be like 10. If ever there was a year that should get to not count, that this one. Right? Yeah, that's legit. I I love it. Well, happy 39 again to you, my friend. And happy 28 (laughs) to you. Thank you. Thank you. So 28. I like that. Well, I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to read this amazing bio of yours, um, and then we'll get to talking about fatherhood. I'm excited. So listeners, this is Brandon Larson. Brandon was a mechanical engineer for, wait for it, NASA, and worked in research and development at the Boeing Company, helping to shape the future of space travel. Because sure, through a series of events, he turned his focus towards sports science and coaching, working with some of the world's most elite athletes. And since becoming a dad to his two kids who are four and a half and two, he's been on a mission to make it easy for dads to stay in the know as they uniquely navigate fatherhood. And he does this through his company, Fantastic Dads, which uses the principles of elite athlete development to empower dudes to build their own philosophies as dads. I just... I love this bio so much. Welcome to the show, Brandon. There's your official introduction. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. (laughs) So we always love to start by asking guests their why, because we always share our whys when we're talking about specific topics. So can you just start by telling us what sent you down this path? Like, what's the why behind your how? For me, working in elite uh, athlete performance, just over the years, I, I noticed these incredible people doing incredible things. And I'd never really thought about how that applied to children or even my own children because I hadn't even, they weren't even a twinkle in the eye at that point. And I remember the day that my my wife, Melanie, she brought in this uh, drippy wet pea stick and I just, I got a little teary eyed. I got choked up. I was so excited. She said, you're going to be a dad. And then a couple moments later, I thought, wait a second, I've never even held a baby. I don't, how, huh? And so those thoughts started coming in and I realized that there was just um, some work that I needed to do to kind of understand what it meant to, to raise a kid and, and if there was any, any magic to it per se. Because again, I had zero experience. And so I, I called up my buddy, Steve. He's, he was an NFL coach at the time for the Chargers or the Browns or one of those. And he, he said he, he had just found he was going to be a father as well. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going down the same path right now. And I'm absolutely petrified. I, I, I don't know what this, what this even means. And so the two of us, we kind of had to laugh about it because we were both the people that were often hired to help people win, win Olympic medals or win Super Bowls. And here we were trembling at the idea of raising a, a, a child. Mm-hmm. And so I did what any good sports scientist would do. You go and hit the books and I realized that there weren't a lot of resources for dads. Uh, it felt like we were kind of the fart joke of the parenting books. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I started digging into the academic side of things and was like, wow, there's a lot of really good information here. It's just kind of hard to digest. And the information is it's kind of in a lot of different silos. Like the biochemists, they don't talk to the physiologists. They don't talk to the neuroscientists who don't talk to the psychologists. But humans are, we're a system, you know, we're not all these individual things. And then I started kind of just thinking, well, maybe modern technology has solved all these problems. There's probably an app that can just tell me what I need to do. And then I started Googling and I realized that Google is just this horrible pit of despair sometimes when it comes to trying to find information for uh, the things that you want, because, you know, let's face it, people can buy 
SEO that gets their information up to the top. So if you have a very intentional question, you may not get it answered in the way that's maybe is either supported by science or resonates with you in your life. So I found all these frustrations in it. And my why, I guess, should go back to the fact that I'm just a problem solver. Uh, I don't think I have any super special approach to anything. I, I'm not unique in any way. I just really like solving problems. And the best way to solve a problem is to get right to the root, right to the foundation, right to the kernel of truth. So when I saw all these problems with learning about how to be a dad, I, I just realized I needed to solve this. And so that sent me off on the whole path of consuming everything I can, applying what I know about sports science to solving my own problem. And then finding that a lot of other dads had that challenge too. So then making it more approachable and accessible to them. And that was what kicked it all off. Wow. Okay. So you've got to unpack this other thing that Kira mentioned in your bio. I mean, first we have the crazy science part, which clearly showed up for you when you wanted to learn and you were trying to get to more of the research and figure out what was going on. But you also have this elite athlete development side. So tell our listeners how the elite athlete development piece and fatherhood, how do those two link together? Okay, so the the company that I was working with uh, mostly was Red Bull, the energy drink company. And they had a small department in the very background. It was like a research and development center. And the entire purpose of that group was to help the athletes develop um, the skills and resources that they need in order to win more. Because in Red Bull's world, the more that they're athletes that they sponsored one, the more people might see that logo and maybe they'll buy, uh, you know, a sugary energy drink at the grocery store. That was the theory. Our group was not associated with any of the, that side of the company. We were solely focused on how do you help somebody build the skills they need to, to achieve the goals that they have set for themselves. And... A lot of times, um, I guess historically in sports science, you would approach it from what are the skills somebody needs to perform? Um, what are the technical things they need to do? If you're a basketball player, you need to be able to get the basketball in the hoop more than the other team to win, right? So a lot of people focus on the skill side of it. What our group did because of a, a, of a kind of visionary guy from Australia named Dr. Andy Walsh, we had a philosophy in our group that was better humans make better performers. And so our, our whole thing, everything we did was we could not teach you how to shoot a basketball better. We could give you pointers about technique, but it's up to the person and their, it's their own journey. They have to put that into practice. They have to put in that time. They have to develop that skill themselves. But the things that support that skill, which are much more easily taught, are things about how to be a better human how to manage stress, how to navigate challenges, how to come back from adversity, how to do all these things that give you the resources uh, internally to manage and navigate challenges. And once you have those resources, the skills come naturally. You have the ability to put the basket or the, the ball in the basket more because you have more resources to put into the development of that. So it, it kind of flipped the whole idea on, their, on its head. And at the core of it, it really is just about having a healthy sense of self. And I should caveat it too by just saying that when we say what's good or bad, what is a better human? So there's no psychological makeup that is ideal, uh, in my opinion. There's different traits and behaviors that work in different contexts. And just as a quick aside, for, for example, like empathy. Empathy is something that we talk about a lot in parenting, but can you have too much? 
So in elite sport, if you have too much empathy, uh, you it tempers your competitive edge, and you may care too much about your your opponent, which can damp your ability to perform in the moment. However, there's aspects of empathy which are incredible that we've seen in sport, such as in endurance racing, uh, in marathons. Maybe you've seen a video about this where the person who's been in first the entire race, they collapse right at the finish line. And number two has a decision to make. Number two can zip by and take the win. But we've seen in many cases, number two, they stop and Mm. pick the person up and they push them across the finish line because that is the way that that works in that particular context. You know, there's a lot of nuance to it. So yeah, maybe I might've gotten a little off topic, but. So link it to the fatherhood piece then, because that's all so fascinating. So then how do you take that, the idea of like building that better human and apply that to fatherhood? What I started realizing over the last four or five years of getting deep into this area is that parenting, and even I believe by the definition of the word, it's how an individual raises another individual. And that's a very personal thing. That's a very, that's a journey that one goes on. That is like the performance. You can you can have little pointers on technique, but in the end, it's up to you to implement those things. But you can only implement those things to the extent that you have the capacity or the resources to do it. So again, this idea of how do you make a better dad who can then make a better parent? How can you give a dad the things that they need, the things that they've never known about, the things that they can then use to then form their own philosophy and form their own approach to how they raise a, another human, how they raise their child. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to take just a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about like how that model then works and how you kind of, through fantastic dads, help these dads become better people so they can become better parents. Well, hi, FFPs. We haven't chatted with you in a little while about membership and just want to remind you that if you are interested in becoming a part of the FFP family, we would love to have you join us. We've got three tiers of membership. That first tier is really just a way to say that you value the content of this show, that you're getting something out of it and you want to help us be able to bring you more of it. At the second tier, we get access to this amazing library. It's a video and audio library called Future Focused in Five, where we give you our parenting tips in under five minutes on each individual topic and that's an amazing resource and then at that top tier you get to actually interact with us and do a monthly Q&A where we will answer your parenting questions it's been super fun getting to know our members and getting to know our community also there's a private Facebook group for our top tier where they can you guys can engage together so we really hope that you'll consider checking it out and joining us so that we can support you in your parenting journey Um, if you're interested in membership you can go to our website click on the membership tab and all the info will be right there for you. We hope you'll join us. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what makes a dad's journey unique because I love the uh, fart joke of the parenting world. Like, (laughs) I think that's so true though. And I feel like I know Dina and I see this in our childbirth classes that, you know, it used to be that dads were just I don't know, not really included in the parenting journey, really. And now there is this expectation and desire, I think, on the part of fathers to 
be really present and to be great dads, but the resources have not caught up. And also, I think the societal expectation hasn't really caught up. And so they're fed those poop jokes and fart jokes and, you know, that side. Um, And so I love that you are touching on this and speaking to this whole group of new dads that are like, no, 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 I want to show up and I want to be a great dad and I want to know how to do that. What do you think is unique about the dad's journey compared to the mom's? That's a that's a great question. There are two parts of that, which this has been more observational of working with hundreds and hundreds of dads and trying to understand their journeys. And again, this is geared more towards the transition from dude to dad and the things that that happen in the first year, two years, three years of life. All of this will apply to um, any aspect of life, but the focus of this is really in that first year. And so with that, the the two things that have been pretty interesting are exactly as you've said. Um, we do, we joke sometimes that for dads, it's almost like we're still stuck in the, the paleolithic era of resources and understanding about parenting for dads since almost all the literature and everything and support has has been generated for moms because they've kind of societally been the uh, the assigned to the the baby rearing for for the longest time, but one of those is that you know dad is not necessarily an identity. I mean, it can be part of your identity at some point, but uh, it's not really an interest. It's more of a label for dads because with moms, uh, moms go through a lot of biological changes. They uh, a lot of the mommy and me groups are around dealing with the the way the body has changed and aspects of breastfeeding and aspects of uh, the hormonal changes that we go through. And for guys, there's not this big biological change. And because of that, there's not a lot of shared experience to create some more of that community per se, right? So if you're going to create that community, it has to be around interests for dads. So that's one thing. But I think the more interesting thing that we found is that around the week, maybe three of a dad being a new dad, there's this thing we call the pit of despair. And it's it sounds probably, it probably is as bad as it sounds. But I'll go back to my example with Steve earlier is... I remember three weeks in, Steve calls me. He goes, Hey, Brandon, are you, uh, are you feeling like, are you feeling kind of like crap? And I was like, <laughs> Actually, yeah, I kind of am. So, you know, we just unpacked it with each other a little. And he goes, You know, I think, I think that, I think I took like a massive ego hit. I'm normally like number one in my family. And then this baby comes along and now I'm three and it happened overnight. And I'm still processing that. And I don't really know how to deal with that. And I was like, oh, dude, I feel even worse. I'm four. We have a dog. I mean, I'm at the <laughs> back now. And, and, so, and so we thought about this and we, and we dug into it. And we realized that in sport, when you reach a challenge, the best way around it is through action. So we just leaned in more into our, our new roles, you know. Oh, uh, let's see how it feels to just change more diapers. I'll, I'll see if I can change more than you this week, Steve. Uh, and we found that we had some more kind of confidence in in feeling like we were useful, and, and that really helped with those feelings. And so that was four and a half years ago. Fast forward to today, and working with hundreds of dads, we found that most dads go through this, and there seems to be this opportunity to either lean in or you fall back. And so when you lean in, 
you can actually work through that and build what psychologists would call self-efficacy or you know confidence within yourself to be able to navigate challenges. Or you go and do something that makes you feel better about yourself because nobody likes to go from first to fourth. And heaven forbid, if we had a cat, I'd be in fifth. But I, I just, I've just seen too many dads uh, fall back into work, into something else where they feel accomplished, and they miss those opportunities to to be there with their child in those first in that first year. And it's very simple. What you can do in those areas is it is about leaning in and having a few simple things to focus on, a few simple tasks, a few simple jobs, and those give you the, the ability to build that. Uh, that self-efficacy. So yeah, that that's kind of a, a neat thing, two neat things we found about di- main differences between kind of moms and dads, especially in that early year. Yeah. And that's really admirable that not only that you figured that out, but then went ahead and leaned in and took action. It's sort of that like, got to just fake it till you make it almost. Because I think it would be really tempting to, hey, I'm kind of feeling backburnered here. I'm just going to step back or check out or wave the white flag of surrender. But instead to embrace that and see where you can really gain some competence in some areas around maybe just starting with those logistical skills like diaper changing or whatever it might be. And that's, that's impressive. So when you lean into that piece, we got to hear about how this athlete model and fatherhood, what the link is, what does that look like as you move into the actual practical? Like if you're, if you're using a model, we, we know that you use a, a framework of fundamentals, you call it, which Kira and I love. We're all about the fundamentals and laying a great foundation. And when you start well, you're much more likely to finish well. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. What is your framework of fundamentals? How do you apply, actually apply this theoretical piece of the elite athlete model to your parenthood? So I would say that the first thing that we do in sports science is in most departments across the world, like any big five sport team is going to have some sort of a model or a framework in which they approach making sure that everybody is covering the depth and breadth of things that an athlete needs or a team needs or the coaches need or the support network needs. And that's just so that you know that these are the things that matter. And a lot of times when you get stuck, you can just refer back to the model and it'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Um, so you don't have to kind of always be remembering this stuff all the time. So in Fantastic Dads, in looking for a model, I started looking at a lot of the, the literature and trying to understand, you know, okay, if you're an academic and you go and look at child development, what does that look like? And there's a lot of big words. There's Uh, social, emotional, cognitive development. There's fine and gross motor skill development. There's sensory uh, play and sensory development, uh, big words like integrations. And I don't think these things are accessible. And that's also why we have models with athletes and coaching is that you have to take complex topics and you have to make them simple and easy and applicable. And you have to meet the athlete where they are. So our model is built to meet dads where they are. And so we took all of academic literature and knocked it into three categories, main categories, and that's move, think, and feel. So humans are, are basically born to move, think, and feel. Um, our brains are built for two purposes. That's to survive and to connect socially. And those things are all um, done through moving and thinking and feeling. Uh, and then from there, the things that support that, that give us resources to do those, which is where resilience comes from and all these other things, that's simply breathing, eating, 
and sleeping. So we've broken um, everything that we can that's evidence-based and science-based into this kind of coaching framework that makes it a little bit more approachable and a little easier to remember. Because if you get stuck, I just want you to think, move, think, feel, breathe, eat, sleep. And, and this gives, this just makes it a little bit more, I guess, approachable. And not only approachable for thinking about a child, because again, this is child development. Within that, this, this is not just about the child, which is something I found frustrating in my own journey and my why, was that it, it felt that the dad was forgotten about. But then digging deeper, it felt that oftentimes the mother or the grandmother or the caregiver or the nanny, they're forgotten about in the literature. Uh, it's about the child and we put the child on a pedestal and that's not how the world works. We all have boundaries, right? So the move, think, feel, breathe, eat, sleep is also meant for dad as well. Because dad, we only we can only teach the things that we know. We can only teach the things that we're capable of. And so the more we know and can build wisdom in move, think, feel, breathe, eat, sleep as fathers, the more we can coach and pass that on to our children so that they can better move, think, feel, breathe, eat, sleep. So that's that's uh, that that's kind of how our model works. I like that a lot. That it's you know yes, the goal is to be raising our children well and raising them into you know as Dina and I like to say, fully functioning, contributing adults. But that it's also so important that the parents are getting their needs met. We talk about that all the time. You've got to put your oxygen mask on first in order to be a decent parent. And so I love that your framework is is about the father getting those needs met as a way of teaching the child how to get those needs met as well. I think that's fantastic. So can you tell us before we wrap up, what's something that elite athletes do that any parent could apply, like a key takeaway for our listeners, one thing that they could just start doing right away? I think it's useful to understand that our concept of something like stress, uh, which is one of the things that takes away from our energy to be in the moment with our kids or, or, or be able to handle challenges, or it can or it can give to it, is that our idea of stress, psychological stress, mental stress is, I don't want to say it's, it's flawed. It's, it's good, but you can, you can understand a lot more if you dig deeper. So one of the things that we, we teach with, with our, with all of our dads is that at any given moment, there's no such thing as a stress per se. There's only stressors or things that change a state in your body. And when that change is activated, um, you you have whatever resources you have in the moment. So if you've had a poor night's sleep, you have less resources. If you've uh, if you're dehydrated or if you're in a poor mood, you have less resources to manage a stressor. And once a stressor comes in, it your body, your brain, it kind of goes and does a quick budgeting exercise. It tries to understand what we can use within all the, our experiences, our knowledge, how we're feeling in the moment. Our, uh, our body state, our mind state, and it runs that against the stressor and it determines a stress response. And that stress response is generally what we call stress. So that stress response is something that um, once you understand it from a biological level, you can actually start to control it a little bit more. So there's, there's some great new modern science on, on how to control stress. Uh, or stress or stress response. And the two that I like the most are one is um, what's called exhale emphasized breathing. So yeah, I'm not here to tell you just breathe. It's more of how to breathe and when to breathe. But essentially breathing in through the nose and then exhaling 
out through the nose preferably, but some people feel better exhaling out of the mouth. That exhale emphasize breathing, it means that we're emphasizing the exhale, which just means that the exhale needs to be longer than the inhale. Now, this is going to be a different number for everybody. Some people like four in, four seconds in through the nose and six seconds out through the mouth. Some people like three seconds in through the nose and four seconds out or even longer. So it's the, the whole point is exhale, emphasize breathing. It interrupts the activity in the nervous system, which is saying that we're feeling a little overtaxed and it sends a signal of calm. The other thing is that we talk a lot about sleep, right? Oh, you need to get better sleep. You got to get eight hours of sleep. It's in the news every day, right? But anybody who has kids knows that the kids sort of dictate a lot of the sleep. And the research shows that the first six years of your life with kids, your sleep is total trash. So (laughs) one of the ways that you can reframe that is how do you get better sleep with the amount of sleep that you're able to get. So some days I can only get six because I had to stay up late and I was working on something or I just needed a break and I stayed up a little too late watching Netflix. But the thing is, is how do you get better sleep? So one of those is through 2014, the Nobel Prize went to the people that figured out the clock genes in your body for your circadian rhythm, which is what dictates in your body, in your biology, your sleep-wake cycles. So having exposure in the morning to the morning sunlight, kind of before 10 a.m. for two to 10 minutes, uh, sets the wake point. And doing that again in the evening sets the sleep point. So one thing you can do to help yourself and also your kids sleep better is to have a practice or try to create a routine around getting a little sunlight every day, especially in the morning and especially in the evening. And it's not this idea of the blue light that also has been going around in, in media a lot. It's actually more of the, uh, the way that the eyes and sensors around the eyes, not even in the eyes, actually look for contrast between blue and yellow light. So there's a different blue and yellow light in the morning, and there's a different blue and yellow light in the sky in the evenings. Mm -hmm. And these are what send those signals to help your body manage the, the hormones that enable more quality sleep. So these simple things of of taking a, a, some moment to exhale, emphasized breathe, and then find ways to have quality sleep, which all these are free and they don't cost anything. Um, and they can very easily be turned into a routine over time. So those are things that uh, help build energy in the body and again, give you more resources against the stressors. It's so great when you can have resources available that are a really great price. I mean, free is probably most people's favorite price. So how (laughs) nice when we find out we could access ways to help ourselves as parents perform better and they're available to us at no cost and with very minimal effort. So thank you for sharing those. Those are really practical takeaways that people can start using. So Brandon, if people want to connect with you more or learn more about Fantastic Dads, can you just tell us how to find you and connect with you, give us websites, social media handles, all that stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not really on a whole lot of social media, but uh, I love connecting on LinkedIn. Our website is fantasticdads.com. You can just email me. I'm brandon at fantasticdads.com. I love chatting with everybody basically. And then just a quick shout out, just because I feel like it's appropriate to pay homage or respect to other people's ideas is 
a lot of that new information that I was describing a minute ago comes from Dr. Andrew Huberman from the Huberman Lab at Stanford. He is an excellent science communicator. And if you are on Instagram and you go find Huberman Lab, he will blow your mind in how easy and approachable he makes topics of neuroscience, stress regulation, these things. So uh, it's probably one of the only Instagram follows I recommend. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much, Brandon. Yeah. Brandon, thanks for being with us today and sharing all that amazing knowledge. And uh, listeners, do check out fantasticdads.com and get more of this fantastic information and more of that move, think, feel model. Um, so thanks for being with us today. Oh, and thank you so much for having me. It was This was so much fun. And honestly, I love what you guys are doing. And really, we just need more Kiras and Dinas in the world. <laughs> oh, thank you. thank you. Oh, man, I love this, Dina, because I think that, like, I was thinking just from the very beginning of this interview that dads are sort of, I think, quietly experiencing all of these feelings of fear and ignorance and all this stuff. And because of how generations and generations have been raised, I don't think they do talk about it very much. And it's so mom focused and then so baby focused. So I just love that there's this whole slice available for for guys that, that are like, I don't know what to do. And I don't know who to talk to about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's much needed, not not just the resources, but I think the community around the resources too. other dads who might be feeling the same way. And these guys maybe don't even know it. And they don't know how not alone they are. So you can feel a bit like an island. Like, am I the only dad who feels like this? It feels marginalized or feels right. like my experience is it's kind of backburnered and, and isn't as important. So I think there's there's something to be said there as well for the support that can be gained by not just how empowering it is to learn this stuff, right? Because knowledge is empowering and learning how to be better parents and better dads is amazing and having those resources. But I think the community piece too, I mean, just even hearing from someone like Brandon and, and being able to normalize some of these experiences is yeah. really critical. Yeah, because you've got a group of people, you know, men, uh, and really, I feel like until this new generation of parenting, men have not been taught to talk about their feelings and to talk with their friends about their feelings. And so like that creates that further isolation. So absolutely. Well, listeners, we hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. Do check out fantasticdads.com. And if you haven't checked out our new website, please do, futurefocusedparenting.com. It's super fancy. And we would love for you to come and visit us. And as always, feel free to connect with us on social media. Our handle is at futurefocusedparenting on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back with you next week. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded partially in my laundry room and partially in Dina's coat closet. Editing by Allison Preisinger. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.